Hello and welcome to the final episode of this season, I think. As we this will be the end of season one, as we after this episode we will have our a long break until the start of the season again. And obviously to join me today is Nick, as usual. Yeah, hello, welcome back. It's been a great great weekend for football. And obviously we're mainly going to talk about the Euros, because the Euros ended today, well, not today, yesterday, with the final, which finished 1-1, uh, but England lost 3-2 on penalties to Italy. And to be fair, if, if you were in neutral for this game, it was pretty, quite a boring game, to be fair. Um, I I really agree. I, I didn't particularly want either the team to win or lose, but I thought that um, as the game went on and the, the tension of it increased, it became very very interesting and quite exciting. Uh, there wasn't like a lot of gorgeous, beautiful football or anything like that. However, uh, I think the stakes behind it and you know the one-one draw going to extra time put a lot of uh, a lot of nerves up in the air, and you could see it, and it made it, it made the whole game quite exciting, if I'm being honest. And obviously, I love I love me a penalty shootout. It's it's one of the most fun things you can watch in football, from in my opinion. As an England fan, I imagine you probably disagree. Yeah, especially if you're an England fan, a penalty shootout is the worst thing that can happen. As they've only won two really. Two penalty shootouts in recent years, one against Colombia at the World Cup and the other against Switzerland in the Nations League. And yeah, so the game started off, in England flew out of the blocks at this game. Uh, they were dominating Italy throughout and Southgate, or Gareth Southgate, started with a five at the back formation with Kieran Trippier Which ended up being a great decision as and Kieran Trippier was the one who assisted the first goal. Yeah, they, they combined to with Kieran Trippier crossing in for Luke Shaw to finish in the second minute. And England's just continued to dominate after that goal for the majority of the second of the first half. However, Italy slowly managed to get into the game. And Italy would then go on to dominate for for the second half, with with them trying struggling really to break down England, um, and eventually the goal did come. Quite a sloppy and scrappy goal really um, from an Italy corner, which was converted in by Leonardo Bonucci. I mean, yeah, initially in, in the. the well, yeah, the starting lineup that Gareth Southgate pulled up was extremely solid, and tactically, they they were so strong that Italy couldn't couldn't comfortably cross the the, the midfield line of 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 England's of England's formation. However, as the game went on, and especially uh, in the turning point of, of halftime, uh, Mancini adapted his tactics very well. Uh, most notably, bringing Insigne into the centre of the pitch and then taking a switching, switching Keza uh, from the right to the left, which really uh, helped open up space and move the ball a lot faster uh, up the pitch, which really, really unbalanced England. And the Keza especially was 
absolutely stellar. He almost scored like three incredible solo goals. Literally just him carrying the ball, dribbling and shooting. It was absolutely outrageous. And then with with that and the England team confining themselves to, to defending and sitting back, as Jack said, the goal came. Uh, Southgate then attempted to react and it wasn't a, it wasn't bad. He regained some control of the game. But it wasn't enough obviously. And then I think his most questionable tactical decisions came at the end of the match, specifically in the, the, the last two minutes, in which he decides, in which he realizes, right, penalties are obviously about to come up, there's only like 30 seconds left of the match, um, I want to sub on two new penalty takers. Not only are they, and, and like, right, on paper this isn't a terrible idea, I guess, if you bring on two people who are like, absolutely specialists in penalties. But uh, Marcus Rashford is, is decent, but he's not like guaranteed to score. And Jaden Sancho is still quite young and inexperienced. And also to bring them on cold, like without, without having their adrenaline pumping, heads in the game, all of that, ended up being a horrible decision. And then uh, furthermore, just his overall uh, tactics for the penalties and his, his chosen lineup was bad. It, it was really where the game was lost. Yeah, uh, it, obviously there's not an issue with subbing people on for penalties, it's just the timing of it. You're subbing on two players who have barely featured in, in the tournament, especially Marcus Rashford, subbing them on for two minutes. Uh, yeah, uh, probably the most important game in their whole career so far. And if, it, if this was done arguably ten minutes earlier, then yeah, it's fair enough. Because obviously they had time to warm up and get into the game a bit more. But the only involvement Marcus Rashford has was playing right back for England. Um, while Jaden Sancho, I think he touched the ball once before the penalty. Which is not really ideal. Yeah, in total, Jaden Sancho, an incredibly high quality player, had only played, I believe, 55 minutes or something stupid like that in the entire tournament. And then suddenly... Uh, Southgate walks up to him and says, yeah, you're going to have the immense pressure of this penalty in uh, like three minutes' time. Uh, get ready. And it was one of the worst tactical decisions I, I, I've, ever seen, I've ever seen. And then for the, for the other penalties, uh, much more experienced players, such as Grealish, uh, I guess Sterling as well. You could say Henderson, but he doesn't have a good penalty track record with England. But players such as these weren't chosen. Luke Shaw as well, and instead um, Southgate betted on very young and inexperienced uh, shooters, which was very definitely not the move because they were so incredibly nervous. Obviously, Raheem Sterling has had issues taking penalties in the past for Manchester City, so that makes sense um, for him not really to step up. He's not the best at penalties. Well, what I don't understand is Jack Grealish because obviously. Um, he has the confidence in him that that I don't think obviously he would be affected if he would have missed but I, I don't think he would have been as greatly affected as other players so obviously the beginning of the penalty shootout saw uh, Dominico Berardi and Harry Kane both score Harry Kane just and then it began to look up for England when Jordan Pickford made a save 
from Andrea Bellotti, which is quite surprising because Bellotti takes the penalties for Torino. And then Harry Maguire scores one of the greatest penalties ever as he just twats it really into the top right-hand corner of the net and breaks the camera inside of the net because of how powerful he hit it. And so, so things were looking up for England and then then Leonardo Bonucci steps, steps up and, and scores his penalty and then it goes to Marcus Rashford who obviously is one of the poster boys of England because of how great a human being he is. And he sent Donnarumma the wrong way, however he slightly drags his penalty just wide <clears throat> which, which, and it hits the post and then it, it kind of goes downhill for England from there with Federico Bernardeschi then scoring to give Italy the lead in the shootout. Jadon Sancho's penalty is then saved by Gianluigi Donnarumma and then it comes down to Jorginho, the man with a 100% penalty record with his uh, signature hop and his skip. However, Jordan Pickford managed to stop him in what would have been the biggest save of his career. Only only for Bukayo Saka to step up and miss his or have his penalty saved by Gianluigi Donnarumma. But I think the issue, as we mentioned here, is the inexperience. I, I can understand playing or having Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho take, um, take a penalty, but having a 19-year-old who is only a few months older than ourselves um, take take a penalty that has so much riding on it. It shouldn't it shouldn't be done, especially when Bakayo Saka one doesn't take penalties for his for his club, and two he hasn't really been to a major final. This is his first major final in any level because obviously he plays plays for Arsenal, and Arsenal don't really make that many finals. So I do think it was wrong to to heap so much pressure on such a young young player in, in a game which meant so much to everyone and obviously that ultimately kind of backfired. Yeah, I mean not only was, was a 19 year old uh, with no penalty experience chosen uh, for this penalty shootout but he was given the last penalty which is the one with the most pressure and the most responsibility and I think that uh, the role should have probably switched with maybe him taking the first or second and then uh, Kane and Maguire taking the final two because then you the, 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 he, he really missed because of two things one psychology that he was just so nervous that he couldn't take a, an incredible pen and two I think we haven't thought about it I've done a room had an, an outrageous penalty save up. yeah you can say Sancho and, and Saka could have done better but like Donnarumma is so long. First of all, to guess a panel, which way the penalty is going, which is 50-50 luck, and then the and I guess a, and I guess a bit of reading the player, but then also to like dive out and reach, like come on, what a goalkeeper! But yeah, and obviously um, Italy would ultimately win the Euro Euros because of this, and. Italy were the better team. They they deserved to win. They they dominated for the majority of the game, as we said before. And but yeah, I I would have taken England losing if it was in normal time or extra time instead of 
penalties because penalties give you false hope it makes you believe that your team actually has a chance now uh, at winning but then obviously it's it's gone within 10 minutes but this does leave the question what now so obviously the Qatar World Cup is only 18 months away and I imagine this England team is not finished obviously they've got a lot of players not even in their prime of their career yet and so this would just be a massive learning curve for them and they'll definitely come back stronger for Qatar in 2022 and they're definitely one of the teams to, to look out for as all these players will be far more experienced and be able to deal with the pressure of being in a in a final now so I, I do think it could mean that they are favourites for the World Cup but it's also interesting what's going to happen to Italy because obviously you have Leonardo Benucci and Giorgio Chiellini who really put on a masterclass of defending it yesterday as well about are they still going to be in charge are they still going to be um, at the heart of the defence because they are both 34 and 36 so they, they, they would only be just like a year or two older than they are now but it will be interesting to see whether they are still in defence because I, I believe if they're not then Italy won't be the same because the amount of defensive stops that Chiellini and Benucci pull in for Italy was the difference maker and obviously that was seen with Benucci winning the player of the, the man of the match award as well. Yeah, and you can you consider experience uh, first of all playing together and how they would move and coordinate with each other and also in the final tactical foul from Chiellini when when Saka is running down the wing. Well, no, it's more of a it's not really Saka running down the wing. A, a long ball comes. Uh, Chiellini kind of fumbles it, Saka steals it, and he's about to escape from Chiellini, and then Chiellini just grabs Saka's uh, shirt and drags him down. And obviously that's that's something that, that you know you have to do after you've been playing for so long that you think, like, okay, it's the last minute of the tournament, I need to take him down. And uh, I, I know some England fans, fans were fans, not, not fans, sorry, fan, fans were complaining about how it shouldn't be red and, and all of that. But first of all, he wasn't the last man. And uh, second of all, how can how can you have the audacity of, of calling of complaining about bad refing after the penalty against Denmark? Please be quiet. No, so we're going to have our break now, and then we'll be back for play of the tournament and don't play of the tournament stuff like that. Really. Welcome back from our break. We're now going to look at was our play of the tournament, our breakout star, things like that. First off, we'll start with our play of the tournament. I like to get the UEFA play of the tournament was Gianluigi Donnarumma, which is wrong on, on so many different levels. As Donnarumma wasn't even the best goalkeeper of the tournament, with our, with Casper Schmeichel probably being the best, and, and Jan Sommer being able to compete and I'm not just saying that because of obviously I support Bruce Mujagaba but Jan Sommer has been one of the best keepers of the tournament. Yeah, that, that, that's true, uh, Donnarumma didn't have much to do because of how good his defence was 
but the few times he had to intervene, he was absolutely stellar. Stand behind Benucci and Chiellini and inshallah. That's Donnarumma. Overall, Donnarumma play of the tournament is wrong. Uh, in my my opinion, uh, the play of the tournament is arguably either Federico Chiesa, who got off to quite a slow start at, at Italy as, as Berardi uh, took his place, but then in the latter stages of the or in the knockout rounds of the tournament, he really began to click into gear and kind of really won Italy their games and caused a lot of issues for every defence he, he played against and in the final was arguably Italy's best attacking player until he got injured and had to be subbed off. Yeah, in, in my opinion, Keza was, was my player of the tournament because I, as Jack said, he was revolutionary every time he played for, for Italy. It did take him a while to uh, get, his, get his foot down and start playing uh, games consistently because he only played like I believe the the final thirty or so minutes of, of the first game, and then uh, maybe didn't even feature in one of the other group stage matches, and then I think it was against Austria. It was against Austria where Italy was really struggling and they couldn't do anything, and Kiesa gets subbed on, and suddenly the team is completely rejuvenated with his with his fast attacks, breaking down the wing, dribbling taking players on and they and they won the game because they stepped on Keza and since then he cemented his spot on the on the starting lineup of basically every other game and he has done a huge amount in taking Italy to the final and now he wasn't able to directly contribute too much uh, in in Italy's big big moments. In, in the final, but he did do a lot himself and create a lot of danger and unbalanced things. I think like a, an outsider for the mm -hmm. play of the tournament could, would be Lukaku. I think if obviously Belgium got a bit further, then it would be Lukaku. Because in every single game that Belgium played, he was their best player, basically. And obviously, the, these, these, these awards yeah. are always quite... It's always depending how far... Um, the team goes in the tournament. So, yeah. I, I think another shout for Kerry might be Pedri. Granted, he scored or would do anything um, incredibly remarkable at first glance, but obviously he he's quite young and he was just such a great midfielder with, with his passing, distribution, turning. He played it every single game, every single game for almost the entire match as well. Uh, for for uh, for every time he was on, and I don't know. I think it's just ridiculous how influential he was over Spain and and how important he was to to that midfield three. So on to our breakout star. Um, I think there's really one winner, and it's Spinazzola of Italy. Obviously, his tournament was cut short after he had to have an Achilles operation after getting injured in the game against Belgium. But I think he'd done enough in, in in the previous games to deem himself worthy of this award. And although he didn't get the stats to back it up, as in like the goals and assists, I, he was a terror on that left-hand side for, for Italy and caused an issue for any anyone that he came up against. He just had used his immense pace all the time. I, I, I do agree with that as, as well. 
Um, again, if Belgium had gone further on and Doku had played more, I would have said Doku because of that one game against Italy where he just destroyed everything and everyone he came up against. But unfortunately, he was knocked out. Um, I haven't mentioned Pedri earlier. I think I will name him myself as breakout star. Obviously, anyone who's been watching Barcelona will be very familiar uh, with him, and it won't be that much of a surprise that he was this good. But uh, I feel like if he was not very well known outside of the Liga enthusiasts or so people who like really pay attention to Barcelona, or maybe they might have heard of him, but they hadn't like seen him in action and seen just how much of a insane all-round player he is. So I, I would say Pedri was my breakout star. And, uh, and quickly on spin as well, it's a drastic change because only a few months ago in the Rome derby he was being torn apart by Lazari of, of Lazio and he was arguably the worst player on the pitch that day. It just shows how, how much everything can change in in football and I think my the two that were quite close to, to winning or to being my breakout star was Joachim Mela of Denmark and Mikael Damsgaard of Denmark as well as both were crucial in Denmark's run to the to the semi-finals especially Joachim Mela who was playing on his more uncomfortable side as normally he's a right back but he was playing left left back for, for Denmark and that didn't stop him and he, he just was going up and down and up and down all the time and causing causing issues and obviously managed to bag himself with a few goals as well. Whereas Damsgaard didn't really get the goals and assists but obviously he's gonna be remembered now for that free kick he scored in the semi final against England. And so now it it will be interesting to see what happens to Damsgaard and whether or how long he's going to stay at Sampdoria. Yeah, it, it will definitely be quite interesting because he certainly stood out in in the Danish. So now on to our underachieving team. I'm going to go for France because obviously they, they're the reigning world champions and they get knocked out in the round of 16 against a decent Switzerland side on penalties. But they... They did struggle during the group stages as well, as they struggled against Portugal and they struggled against Hungary as well. And I do think they could have performed a lot better, especially with the talent that they had at their disposal. And also shout out to Germany, who nearly got, who nearly would have been in it if it wasn't for Leon Goretzka and his 85th minute goal against Hungary. Yeah, I fully agree with you that there's not really any other answer for underachievers other than France. Granted, Germany also got knocked out quite early, but you could already kind of see it coming that they didn't have the strongest team in recent years, and England's not. Uh, England's one of the ended up being the second best team in the tournament anyway, so not too much shame in that. But then, uh, but then France, of like, you know, ex World Cup winners, uh, it, ridiculous quality in the side just so outrageously favourites and then they just went on, got knocked out by, by a team that in theory, like on paper, they're much better than. So yeah, I, 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 I write them down as... And then, I think there's one team that overachieved by quite a lot in this tournament and that's Denmark. Obviously, they were close to elimination in going into the final group game against Russia especially after the circumstances that um, 
hindered their first game and then obviously them losing to Belgium in the second but they were able to turn it around and beat the Czech Republic and Wales on the way to this yes you could argue it's not it's not the hardest teams to beat on their way to the semi-finals to England but it, in another another time they could have potentially made it into the final if it wasn't for for an iffy penalty given against them and I, I just think because of everything they've achieved in in this tournament they, they deserve some sort of recognition yes absolutely I think that yeah absolutely once again I, I completely agree with you just who else would you write down other than Denmark you, I mean, as as we mentioned uh, before the tournament, I think there's always there's always an underdog who, who gets quite far. So, so we did expect to see someone uh, maybe getting to this stage, but I mean, obviously, it's great that Denmark managed to beat that one team who became the, the dark horse and who had a very very real shot at the actual final, and then they were. Unfortunately, done done wrongly by a bad refereeing decision. However, even then, the run was absolutely incredible, and just getting to the semi-finals is an outrageous achievement, especially with without one of your best or debatably your best player. And so, on to our goal of the tournament. Mine is is Andreas Christiansen's, uh, the one he scored to get against Russia in that game. I think the whole atmosphere around it. Obviously, it's a great goal in itself, but I think the whole, the energy that was all surrounding it, the atmosphere, and everything that it meant to the Denmark players and fans when that went in, as it basically meant they were going through. Uh, I think that just sums it up, and it's a goal that I can never get tired of watching. Um, my goal is probably not the most original, but I really like Patrick Schick's against Scotland. I thought it was quite smart uh, how he how he took how he sees the opportunity to just bang it in from the halfway line, and also I think it's quite rare to see uh, a goal scored like that. So I, I I really really liked it, and that is that was my favorite goal. So now we're gonna have our break, and then we'll be back to briefly talk about the Copa America. Welcome back from our goal song break where you have just heard the Euro 2020 song. Obviously it's now the end and so there is, you're not going to hear that ever again because frankly it's quite a shit song as well. Anyway, <laughs> what do you rate it out of 10? I mean, I think the hook is, is good enough, it serves its purpose, but the rest of it's pretty boring. I'll give it a 4 out of 10. Pretty... 3 out of 10, nothing can or will live up to 2010. As in the as in tournament songs. Yeah. So so now obviously we're going to briefly. I I know this isn't what we do, but we're going to briefly talk about the Copa America. 
Um, Argentina beat Brazil 1-0 in, in the final uh, with a goal by Angel Di Maria. And that does mean Messi has won his first international trophy with Argentina. And so he can kind of retire a happy man. Yeah, justice was served as a Brazilian team that had uh, dragged a lot of refereeing controversies with them throughout the competition was beaten in the final within a 1-0 victory for Argentina with a scintillating goal from Di Maria. A slight defensive slip in which a very nice through ball from Depot reaches the Argentinian uh, winger who then just scoops it over Ederson. And then, I mean, it wasn't the... I mean, it's quite one nil, so it was like the most goal-festy goal kind of game. But there's still quite a lot of action to it. Uh, Brazil tried to recover. They didn't really manage. Argentina held on. Towards the end of the match, tensions got really high, and you started seeing the Argentina and the Brazilian players uh, fighting considerable amounts, as you would expect from from the two teams with so, with so much uh, rivalry. But uh, overall, in Neymar lost. Messi won his first international. Messi won his first international trophy. So the footballing world is happy. Also, shout out to Luis Diaz who put on a, a spectacle in the third place playoff against Peru and scored a great late last minute or late goal to win it for Colombia. That was actually a really good goal. I can't really say anything against it. It was, it was a really entertaining game, to be honest. More entertaining than the final, I would say. It was a 2-3 two, two, win for Colombia with a like 19th minute screamer from Luis Diaz. And, and overall, all of the goals were good and it was, it was fun and exciting game to watch. Yeah, so that is it. Um, that, that's all we're going to talk about today. And yeah, uh, this is the end of season one. Uh, we will be back for season two when the new season start. Uh, don't know when exactly that's going to be. Uh, it's roughly a month until the main European League starts. So we'll be back in around a month's time. And so, yeah, um, thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe, whatever. And, yeah, we will be back whenever. Yeah, goodbye and see you in the start of the new season.